People told me that being a writer was too difficult and that I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm here because I decided to tell my story and I have other stories of other people that I want to make sure get out. So that's what I'm focused on. It's Nephi Anderson here with a brand new episode of The Path Less Traveled, a web series spotlighting millennial entrepreneurs who successfully turned their passions into lucrative careers. Today's guest is writer, editor, and digital strategist, Jonathan Jackson. Everybody give a hop, round of applause for Jonathan Jackson. Yes. Put some respect on his name. Now let me give you the run down on Jonathan, okay? Jonathan is most known for being the co-founder and head of corporate branding for Blasby, a digital destination for and by black millennials, covering everything from pop culture to politics. Now, what makes Blasby so special is its commitment to covering stories that are important to the black community that otherwise go unnoticed or uncovered by mainstream media outlets. Jonathan and Blavity together have been featured in outlets such as Forbes, The Huffington Post, USA Today, LinkedIn, and now the Pathless Travel Series. One time for Jonathan, everybody. He's pretty amazing. So Jonathan, thank you so much for being here and for allowing me to interview you and being the first guest for a live taping. This is dope, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm so blessed. I, I told him like I could check this off of my like, you know, life to-do list. Like, okay, next is Oprah and then I'm good. That's it. That's true. <laughs> um, so for like a little backstory, I didn't even, when I first heard about Jonathan and like who he is and what he does, I didn't even know he had any type of association with Blavity. Um, his, Article, article that he wrote came across my timeline from one of my friends posting on Facebook, Naquan, who's in the crowd. Thank you, Naquan. <laughs> he posted an article on Facebook, and ever since then, I think this is a safe, this is a safe space, right? Ever since then, I think I've developed a healthy obsession with his work. <laughs> uh, the way that he writes, communicates things, he's so transparent. I can best describe it as like how I feel when I go to church, right? You go to church, you go with all your problems, your burdens, the past that keeps it real, but then at the end of the day, you leave church, you feel refreshed, you feel like you got all the answers, you got all the keys, the keys, the keys, the keys, and that's how I feel when I read Jonathan's work. Down the line, somehow, someway, I then found out that he was the co-founder of Blavity, but his writing is dope, so I say that to say, this interview is gonna have a lot of gems, okay? Uh, so make sure, you jot them down. So just like in church, when the pastor says, take a moment to take out your Bible, take a moment to take out your phone, okay? Uh, when you tweet, make sure you tweet using the, the hashtag TPLT series. So what's the hashtag? I like y'all. Y'all smart, y'all loyal, all that good stuff. All right, so it's gonna get deep really quickly. I'm like, Jonathan, I usually don't have like cue cards or anything, but there's lots to cover. There's so many questions I want to ask him. I'm like truly a fan. So I'm going to try to like breeze through this and then he has something special for us at the end. So here we go. You ready? Good. You scared? Never. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of like take it from the beginning. Talk to me about how you came, how you guys came up with the name Blavity. Like what does it mean? And where did the idea for the company come from? 
Yeah, so my co-founders, uh, Morgan, Jeff, and Aaron, and myself all went to Washington University in St. Louis. And the campus demographics are around like four to six percent black. They say six percent because they just add in the grad school to like make it seem more black, but it's not. Um, so in any event, there was only a few spaces on campus where black people could gather. And one of those was an actual lunch table when we were there. And the term we used was blavity, right? So it's the word black and gravity. So it is a noun in the sense that when you see someone black, there's a feeling attached to it, but it's also a verb, right? So it's that head nod you give when you're in Home Depot with somebody and you're like, yeah, you're buying supplies too. Dope, right? It's just that feeling. And so that sustained us when we were on campus, but when we left, um, and this was led by Morgan, we didn't really have a space that we felt like was sharing our voices and everything was disparate. So um, we were all scattered, but Morgan brought us together around this idea and we're here about two and a half years later. I love it. So you mentioned that there are four co-founders, yeah. you being one of them. Yep. Talk to me about each of your roles as it pertains to Blavity. Yeah, so Morgan's the founder and CEO, right? So she does everything, her hands everywhere. Um, and she is responsible for company vision and setting that. Um, Aaron, who's our COO, is involved in anything that's revenue generation, right? So that's big deals, partnerships, running the sales team, looking around um, new clients we should go after. Then you have Jeff, our CTO. So we've always had a tech stack, so we've had engineers since the beginning, and he is sort of the tech wizard genius behind that. Um, and my role is sort of interspersed, right? So corporate brand is sort of a jargony way to say that I look to make sure we are in the spaces and places that we need to be. So the industries need to know about us, um, if there's foundations or companies, how can we work with them, and what does our story look like, and are we delivering on that promise for our community, but also um, anyone else we work with. I love it. So you mentioned that you guys recently celebrated your two-year anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but you also quit your nine to five. You said peace out. I did. You were at LinkedIn for about three years mm -hmm. in a variety of roles. So talk to me about how you made the decision to leave the company and what did you do in order to transition out? Yeah, so I think my decision was predicated on a few things, right? Like I loved my job. And I think the prevailing notion is that people are like, yo, I cannot wait for the day I leave. Like I want to hit my boss with like an inanimate object. I didn't have any of that. Like I really enjoyed what I did and who I worked with. But the reality is when you want to do something you love, you have to give up a lot of things you like. And I believe like for me, I was always on that path. It got accelerated because Blavity's growth never slowed down. And as much as I wanted to do both, I wasn't always giving what I should have given to um, the thing that um, I was around for the beginning of. And so I made sure that everyone I was working with knew the things I was involved with outside of that, which made the transition a little easier. I just want to know if you guys caught that quote though. Right, you got it, you got it. They're like, they're okay, right? In order to do what you love, you got to give them what you like. I like that, <laughs> DJ Khaled voice. All right, so. <laughs> Talk to me about your writing, right? right? Because I know that in the very, very beginning, beginning stages when Morgan first told you about this idea, mm -hmm. she's like, I want you to come on board. You're like, yo, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And she's like, you can start by, you know, giving us some pieces. <laughs> so talk to me about your love of writing. Like, where did it come from? Yeah. Has it always been a passion of yours? Yeah, so um, it started really young, right? And I think now I'm able to call myself a writer. I didn't, I didn't do that until like a year and a half ago. So when I was really, really little, my mom used to tell me a story about, she used to read me Peter Rabbit before bed. 
Um, and I used to have her read me like the same story over and over again. And then on the way to school, I'd be in the back seat and I'd have my Peter Rabbit book and I would open the pages before I knew how to read and just retell the story. So my brother's friends would be in the car like, yo, is your little brother actually reading? He's like four and I'd be like, I'm doing but that was like part of my beginning right so the love of diction and story and how you can actually take an idea and using words like paint and that's how I like to create and so from there I've always had this voice but there have been times where I've held it I've shielded it but more recently Blavity pushed me way out of my comfort zone because I had to start telling that story broadly um, and so it's, it's been a progression from there but I've always had it I just um, recently decided to actually dedicate time and effort to it in a meaningful way. Wow, beautiful, 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 beautiful. So I know that you're a ghostwriter. Yep. How did that come about? Can you tell us who you ghostwrite for? Do you write, you write for Drake? I mean, I can't really talk about that. But okay. I mean, in general, I think ghostwriting is a thing that came about because I was able to capture people's voices in a way that they didn't know how to themselves, right? So generally speaking, I've seen ghostwriters do a couple things. One is be involved in the book creation process, not because the person they're working for can't do it, but because they have constraints on their time, their energy, or their effort, right? So a lot of CEOs will be like, I need someone to actually take my ideas, synthesize them in my voice. Um, and I think I'm pretty good at that, but I try to work with specific people who are interested in actually telling those stories, but also have a specific purpose behind it, so. So do you reach out to them or do they reach out to you? How does that work? I think generally it's collaborative, right? Like there's people I haven't worked with yet that I want to in the future and I will, but then there's people in my, I would say, sphere of influence that I think should be saying more and they would if they had time or someone they trusted to help them tell their story. So it's more of an advisor as opposed to like a hired pen, if you will. I gotcha. So what would you say were some of the opportunities that you created for yourself that led to a big break in your career and yeah. or Blavity? Yeah, so there's a couple. Um, my fourth week at LinkedIn, I was in a room um, with a cohort. I was in, I was in a, a rotational program. We were asking questions of the SVP, um, who's this, this great dude. And I looked around the room and I per usual was one of the only, I think I was the only black person in there. And then we were talking about like talent, how important it was. And I raised my hand and he was like, Jonathan, you have a question? I was like, yeah, I'm just curious, like why we don't recruit below the Mason Dixon line? And the whole room was just like, I was like, to be more specific, why we don't go to colleges with higher demographics of black people if we believe talent is like the future. Um, and obviously no one wanted to be involved in that conversation. Um, I felt like if I was to get fired, I still had Southwest miles, so it wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> Um, but for me, like asking questions like that allowed me to differentiate myself. Not because I wanted to be um, disruptive, I just felt like I had questions that no one else could answer. So my ability to separate has been more about my curiosity than me naturally, um, you know, being more talented or stronger or faster. It's been like I've dug into the questions that no one else can answer and it's allowed me to create space for myself. I love it. So. What did you do to deliberately brand yourself? Would you say that was it or is it something else? Because you're good at a lot of things. I won't even, I'm not gonna embarrass you and go through your whole resume, but you did mad stuff, PR, all that. Yeah, I, I think it's, I'm, I'm really interested in people. So my thing is I try to lead with value first and then from there it can be whatever it, it needs to be. So a lot of the opportunities I found were because I, was curious about why not me. So like if I believe why shouldn't I do that, then 
my operating priorities shift to figure out what the space can look like. And the reality is with the internet, you can do a lot of information gathering in a very short period of time. So I do a lot of homework before I show up. Um, and that allows me to walk into a room knowing who I'm talking to, and then furthermore knowing their priorities. And then if I'm really doing my work knowing who they report to and their priorities. And so that makes the conversation a lot more streamlined. What do you think is one thing that most people don't know about your journey to where you are today? Um, I was not always as personable as I appear to be. Um, there are like a lot of things growing up that I, most people don't know, but I had a speech impediment for a while. And so like T's and H's were not a thing. Like I had a really bad lisp and I didn't like speaking in front of people. I was really shy. Like I would never have done anything like this. Right, you've come a long way, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, so that, that, that's definitely part of it. But I also think it's like not overnight. Like I've also been this type of person. I just haven't necessarily been doing it in front of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So what do you say you know now about the startup industry mm -hmm. that you wish you knew when you first started? I think yeah, you just have to help, have a healthy respect for understanding what you don't actually know, right? Listen, I knew I didn't know that much, but once you like really quit your job and you're like, I'm really gonna do this, you realize how much you actually don't know. So there's like a gap um, and accepting that and like leaving your ego is probably the most important thing that I've done because it's allowed me to make whatever mistakes I need to make and accelerate through them. So I wanna go back to you leaving your job. Talk to me about the steps that you took in order to make that happen. Successfully? Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah it, was, it was pretty successful. Okay. Um, I did a couple things, right? So the first one was when I got to LinkedIn, um, I knew a couple things. Right? I wanted to make sure that one, regardless of my role, if my name came up in conversation, it was bulletproof. Like if they said, if someone had the same last name as me, there should be a conversation around like if we're related, and if so, that person should have the ability to like get access to things they wouldn't have, right? So I was very serious about my legacy coming in because I didn't know anyone. Right. Um, and so that allowed me, I basically started meeting senior leaders very early because I wanted to know what their priorities were because I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. But if I'm here and you give me access and there's all these free snacks, like I'm absolutely going to do my due diligence. Um, and so I created advocates and I found sponsors, like people that would talk about me when I wasn't in the room. Um, and show me opportunities that they felt I might not actually be ready for, but I could take advantage of. Um, and so those people I carried with me when I left, and those are relationships I nurture because whatever they're doing is directly related to what I might want to do in the future or what I'm doing right now. Um, so I think it's about involving people in your story before you need anything from them. Right. So did, once you knew that, like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this step, like, did you start saving? When did you have that conversation with your boss? Yeah, I mean, I save from jump. Like, that's not really an option for me, right? Like, I was always like, well, if I'm making this, like, what would I need for this if everything went left? So that's not being a fatalist, I think that's being a realist. Like, things happen in life where you're required to be more liquid. And so I always knew that, and that's been like a historical pattern. So I needed that cushion anyway. But then when you're leaving, it's like, okay, um, what can I gather outside of the actual paycheck? Um, and so I had that kind of open conversation with my manager, right? We very, he's very transparent. And I was like, hey, this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think? And he was like, go for it. And I was like, can we stay in touch? He was like, I'd be upset if we didn't. Um, and so what I found is that people who are more senior in their careers, 
they're usually, they've sold everything they need to sell, they've done everything they want. What they actually want is to see people that they can help with their actual influence, because that can sometimes give more purpose to their work than what they're just doing. So for me, I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's in media. I think it's interesting. Can I email you every four weeks with an update? And they're like, yes. And so that- To your manager. To my manager, to anyone senior I engage with. And I was like, these relationships matter. How can I communicate that they matter regardless if I work in this organization or not? So how does he take the news? So, okay, let's go, let's go back a little bit. Because I want, I want to marinate here a little bit because I feel as though we have a lot of people in the audience and that are watching that are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have nine to five. And they may love them as you do or they may not. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out, like, next steps. Like, how do I, you know, transition smoothly without burning bridges? Yeah you know, into this next thing, this thing that I love. Yeah. So you had a conversation with him, how far out from you leaving? I had a conversation around what I was thinking about just as far as my career was um, concerned, like probably like three months earlier, right? So I also made sure I had time with my manager. Like that's my job. It's not my manager's job to schedule time with me. If I need resources from a person, I need to be on their calendar because it's about me. Like my career is my own, I own that fully. So I was setting up time, and one of those conversations was like, hey, I'm thinking about this. And I had never really hid the fact that I was involved with Blabby. People knew it, people knew what was going on. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about this. I think it's time. I think I'm in a space where if I don't do this now, I'm gonna regret it. Um, and I think that resonated. And as someone working in media, I think he understood that, and he wanted to support what I was doing because of the caliber of work I had been doing previously. So I think the other thing is, you can't be whack at your job, your nine to five, and expect someone to support your six to 10 because they're not seeing your, you're not seeing your criteria, especially if you, need, if you know you need something from them immediately or you'd want something in the future. So I made sure to that point, like I was executing on everything I needed to. And that allowed me the space for people to be like, oh, absolutely, like, do your thing. You've been great here, but I bet you'll be better doing whatever it is in the right. future. So what would you say was the last low point of your career, and how did you bounce back from that? It's the message that we want to get out is that you are going to have low points. Not every day is going to be a, a bright day. Yeah. So, you know, we fall down, but we get back up. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I wouldn't call it like a low point. I think it's 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 a battle, right? Like I doing what I do now, like I can have a string of good calls and then I can have something happen that like throws my day left. So I can tell you like last week there were like four or five times where I was like, wow, this is like not that great. But then there were just as many times where I was like, it's lit. Um, but I, I think if we're talking about like consistent low point, um, there was a period last year where I had gotten into a new role managing the influencer program and I was way out of my depth. Like I did not think I could do it, period. Like I was like, this is too much pressure. Like why am I here? So it was, it was a deeper level of imposter syndrome than I'd ever experienced. You're referencing LinkedIn's yeah, influencer LinkedIn's program. program. Yeah, okay. so um, that's a program for 500 words, top thought leaders and I was managing that um, and making sure that we were reaching the people we needed to and finding new voices to add to that. And that was just really, really weighty for me. Um, and I felt like I didn't deserve it. And so a lot of the game was mental for me. Like the low point was that I cognitively was struggling to understand if I was good enough to execute on these specific things. And if I wasn't, like what would happen to me? Um, and I think I was just blessed with a manager who refused to let me wallow in that. And they were like, you're great, otherwise I wouldn't have hired you. 
So do your job because you're the only one that can do it. And like someone talking to me like that, they didn't have to, I think, allowed me to continue to grow. I love it. So you are someone that has gone through a lot of pain and tragedy that most people don't know. Well, everyone goes through pain and tragedy, but I feel as though there, 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 there are some parts of your story that may need a little expanding on. Yeah. So I know that you're very close with your brother, right. who we're lucky to have in the audience today. Yeah. But I know that you did have a sister. I did. Yeah, so when I was um, really, really little, I was like five, uh, my sister um, was born, she's diagnosed with Down syndrome. So she only lived for about 14 months. Um, and so if, if, if you were familiar with it, like there can oftentimes be complications. Her complication was that um, the heart valve wasn't big enough. Um, and so she was on oxygen for like most of her life. Um, and so as like, a, as like a little brother, right, like that was my chance to be like the big brother for the first time. And I felt like it got, taken from me like too early. Um, and so when you're, when you're little and you like have a conception of like loss that closely, I think you grow up a lot faster. So like for me, like I was super young, like seeing a lot of death, a lot of tragedy and I internalized that, but it made me older. So I've always operated as like, I'm, I'm who I am, but I'm like 10 to 15 years out because I have a different perspective on what life actually looks like. Um, and so like the closest of my family is um, sometimes predicated on the fact that like we've seen each other um, at ex in extreme duress. And so it actually, from a value proposition standpoint, makes it a lot easier for me to weather certain things. Like I, as a person, like if something's not going well, my scope of reference is not this is gonna end my life because I've seen what that looks like. So it actually makes a lot of things like not that big of a deal. For me and it can sometimes appear cavalier but like I don't have a problem with pressure or being in situations that feel kind of hairy because of that I got you so I just want to say I'm sorry for your loss yeah. I know that you try to be someone that your sister would be proud of yeah. and I know that she is because you are amazing you're upstanding and you're making her proud every single day thank you you're very transparent in your writing, and which is how I found out about your sister. Yeah. It's like, you know, you go there. Yeah. Talk to me about your process of documenting those moments when we live in an age where all we document is the highlight reel. Yeah, um, that's something I think I've done since I was really, really little. I've uh, just seen the ability to like actually take a snapshot. So I think for me, um, I don't really have an in-between, like as a person. Like the, my friends who know me, they're gonna be like, know that generally speaking, I'm always on a hundred. And so like part of that is because I see things as they are and then I'm like, okay, like what do we need to do next? My process for writing is somewhat similar, but I think it deviates because I think about, less about like the end product, like the narrative story I think about what can I talk about in this moment that otherwise would get skipped over? Because I see a lot of things that are like, this is great, but if the only thing you're hearing is like work super hard, network, and just like you'll get there, um, that misses the 
actual reality of like being in a valley or being in a dip and not knowing how to get out of it and not knowing how to talk to people that you love about it because they don't necessarily understand what you're going through. And to me, those are the places that I try to write more about because I think that helps more people. Me included. And I know that you said that you like to like write when you're in the middle of that storm, not when you're at the end or like when you've already come up with the solution. It's like, I'm gonna talk about this right now, right here. And I think that, to your point, is what resonates with me a lot. It's like, oh, you know, <laughs> tears, tears, tears. So for us, right, we all try to be authentic and transparent um, as best as we can in business and on digital and through social media. Yeah. But we kind of like often, we don't, miss, we don't make the mark so great. Yeah. Uh, what is your advice uh, to that respect? Yeah, I think, I think there's a difference, right? So to me, transparency is the equivalent of someone coming over your house, like taking off their shoes and you eat and like you watch something together, right? That's intimate, it's, it's around you. Authenticity is an everyday thing, right? So it's like a cologne, it's deodorant, you do it every day, everyone deserves it. I am not of the belief that everyone is deserving of your full transparency. One, because they might not be capable of understanding it. Two, they might not actually want it, they just think they want what that feels like. Understanding that nuance, I think, creates a lot of um, scenarios that you can navigate. If you don't understand it, then you can do what I've done, which is like be too open with too many people who don't really have an, a vested interest in seeing me win. They've just been vested in like enjoying what I'm actually doing. Um, and I think for people that are in digital or like online a lot, it can be hard to tell the difference. But I think it takes work and it takes time. Right. So I know that something that you are very passionate about is making sure that black kids have the tools and resources that they need in order to thrive post-college. Mm -hmm. Where does that stem from? And what would you say are some of those, those resources that they need in their success kit? Yeah, um, I think it stems from like personally, right? Like I didn't really know that much. I had my brother, but outside of that, like we were figuring stuff out. So like if he had something, he'd pass it back. And if I found something out, like I'd pass it up. And we do that today. Um, that's a systemic thing though and I think I've seen that manifest itself in in a few ways but the, the most painful one is when I'll, I meet a lot of like undergrads who fundamentally believe that the only way they could be successful is by following like a prescribed set of things that were told to them by people who are not actually living what they want to do um, and so I'm very um, wary of not being tactical with the structure we give kids that are coming from backgrounds that are like pretty disparate. So if you told someone all you need to do is like follow your dreams, but aren't giving them actual strategies on what that looks like and the cost of that, you're doing them a fundamental disservice. And I made a promise that that happened to me and I would not repeat that at any point in my life. Um, from like a tools perspective, I think it's less about like the individual like thing, right? I could tell you like, you gotta have a budget, you gotta do this. I think it's more important that the actual models for how you can be successful be explicated, right? So what does it actually look like to be an entrepreneur in a specific field? Um, less like, let's celebrate how much freedom I have. Um, let's talk about how to build an actual business and the fact that businesses are being built 
where these kids are from. Um, and that that might not be the best model, but you can take that model, remix it, and actually do the thing you want to do and make money doing it. I love it. So you have a, you have a pretty interesting background. Where you grew up, you know, I think you said that you were like one of two black kids in the class or in the school. Yeah, I mean, that depends on what school, right? So like, I, I grew up in New Hampshire, so New Hampshire's in a three-way tie persistently for like the whitest place in the continent of the United States. So um, growing up, like, if it wasn't my family or like someone we immediately knew, chances are like it, it wasn't black. So I've been in environments where um, it's just me or it's just a couple of people. Um, but I think that has an interesting um, flavor on your background depending on like where or what you think about yourself when you enter those environments as well. So I know that you're very close with your brother like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. He is a big supporter of yours yeah. and you look up to him a lot. How yeah. has having him in your life uh, impacted your career trajectory and your outlook? Yeah, I mean, uh, career-wise, like, if he had it, that meant that I had it, right? So, like, I am a sum total of the things that he, I feel like he's intentionally um, sacrificed so I could have a different experience than he did, right? So, when I look at, like, the things that I've been able to do or, like, see or be a part of, there is a direct connection to the doors that he opened um, and his focus point, right? I think it's funny, most people sort of know me, but I'm my brother, and I always find it funny that they think like I just sort of like developed some habits on my own, and I'm like, like you think I'm me, like you should meet the person that I look up to. Um, and I think like for my career, I look like, I don't really think we can be stopped, period. Like I believe that like whatever we wanna do, we're gonna do it, and the question is when, not if. Ooh. In my head, I've been like, oh my gosh, I wanna tweet that, I wanna tweet that. I hope you guys are tweeting using that hashtag TPLT series because I got some retweets to make after this. <laughs> so while we're on that relationship track, let's talk about the love life. Before right. we, you know, before, let, let's, just, let's just get it done because you know, I gotta do my service to the ladies. Is there someone in your life? And two, how does a relationship like that work when say both of you guys are entrepreneurs, you're hustlers, you're very driven. Right. How do you make, how, how, where's the balance? Um, so I am actually single, so there isn't someone special in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, but I think when it comes to relationships, I do have examples of how that works. I think a lot of it comes down to one intention, but two, like, do you actually want to engage with a person like this? Um, because there's a certain level of responsibility, right? Like if you're dealing with someone and you guys are trying to build something, that takes time, just like your business. Right. Um, and so if you actually don't want to do that, you could just be upfront and say it. Um, I think that's a level of honesty that sometimes is difficult because you're like, I don't really want to miss out, but I actually like, don't have time to do it. So I think that, that honesty immediately makes it a lot easier um, in general. I love it. All right, so we're gonna transition a little bit to touch on Blavity a little bit more mm -hmm. before we go to social cool. and to the audience to take some questions, cool. see what they gotta say. Let's do it. So what would you say currently is uh, the most, has been the most challenging part about being a part of Blavity? Yeah, I think um, 
there's two things. The first one is the landscape, right? So if you look at media itself, um, it's volatile in general. Like media is difficult, it's busy, it's, um, things are always changing as you obviously know. Um, and for us, we came in the game, if you will, with a clear declarative statement. We said we are focused on black millennials between the ages of 18 to 30, period. And we believe that their stories matter and they have $28 billion of buying power and they're being critically underserved and we're tired of it. And we keep making things that people keep taking and we are not going to let that persist. Um, when you make statements um, and people don't necessarily know who you are yet, it can obviously create friction, but it also creates ripples in the marketplace. And I think what's been most challenging for me is how to distill our vision into tactical things. Because I spend a lot of time thinking about where we need to go, where I need to speak, what I need to say. But the challenge is not everyone is at that space where they can um, digest the vision. Some people need like, what are you doing right now? Some people need, what does it look like? And other people really want to be involved. But in each case, um, it's actually pushed me to be a better communicator. Um, I think the second thing is we've grown really fast. So if you're doing anything and you're growing, um, you have to think about one, the people on your team, two, the type of leader you want to be for them um, and uh, what that looks like and giving them what they need to be most successful. Great. I think you guys are doing a great job thus far. Keep it up. What can we look forward to in the future? I know that there's like an app on the horizon, like, <laughs> like you know, spill the tea. Yeah, there's a couple, a couple things that, um, you know, the way my NDA is set up, I can't really like let it all out, but I will say that you can look forward to some cool things happening with um, our website. We have a tech conference um, in SF on November 11th and 12th called Afrotech, so I'm really excited about that. Um, we have some cool video stuff coming out that's super dope. Um, and I think just the way we are positioned to reach our market with certain specificity that other people haven't um, known how to do or couldn't really broach correctly, to me is what I think people can look forward to. So you can not only see yourself, but you can see your experience and the nuances in that experience reflected um, visually um, with original content and with community um, and in-person stuff too. Love it. So you guys have done a great job of bringing us fresh content. Um, and there was like this thing that went viral. What was it? The Black Twitter days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, was smash. That yeah. that was pretty funny. <laughs> Talk to me about your business model and your monetization channels. Yeah, I mean, so like any good media company, right? We have advertisement, but we also um, do a lot of work directly with clients. So we've done sponsored content campaigns. We've done live event activations. Um, we did Essence Fest for the second time this year and did some cool stuff down there. Um, and then we think about larger campaigns, right? So. For us, the revenue has always been um, about how we can deliver something of value to our audience and who could we work with to do that in a meaningful way that accomplishes their objectives. Um, so I think for us, we've seen a lot of growth for a lot of different brands who are looking to reach our demographic, um, but are obviously fearful of not one appropriating, two, not just being flat out whack and having it be like not something people want to engage with, and what the future is. Because there's not as much data on our actual um, user base as there should be. Right. And so that's something I think about a lot is like we deserve not only to be reached, but to be measured and indexed and have the same rich 
um, and robust data sets that you'd see for any other demographic of people out there. Right, I love it. So it's time for us to actually take some questions from the demographics. <laughs> so we posted a question on Instagram. So if you follow him, you already saw it. So let me just get my phone. Let's see what they got here. Okay, so Kayla Greaves wants to know, how do you prepare for a stressful day? That's a great question. Um, I think it starts at night. So I did this thing like two, three months ago where I started this gratitude journal, right? So the entire point of the journal is I just write bullet points of things I'm grateful for that day. And that sounds kind of meta, but I mean like literally, like if the D train is on time, I write it down. Like the D train was on time today, Google Docs didn't crash. Um, the bodega made my sandwich with pepper jack, right? Like anything that I feel like can, ref can refresh um, my perspective. Because I think your next day begins the way your night actually ends. And so I try to be really intentional about like, I don't want to go to sleep like other than thinking about the best things that actually took place. Um, and so I think that starts in the morning. I have like quiet time where I will try to meditate, I'll try to pray, I'll try to like think. Um, and also, if there are things that are really difficult, I try to get it done in front of the day, right? So Seth Godin calls Eat the Frog. So do the hardest thing in the morning first, right. and then everything else can, can go from there. I love it. I can dig it, I can dig it. So we have a question from Markwell Turner. <laughs> I wonder who that is. He would like to know, what song represents the current state of your life? Oh man, this is tough. <laughs> There's a couple. Um, current state. I think I'm, I'm, I'm on a gradient here. So I am, I'm in between um, young, young MA, ooh, right yeah. I'm there. But I think on the, <laughs> serious, um, on, the, on the right end of the side, I think I'm, um, <laughs> Also between like Marvin Sapp never would have made it. Like I think that's, that's the vacillation point, right? So I think on that on that end, like I'm doing things now that I couldn't have imagined, and that's like that's like really 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 um, incredible for me. Um, and on the left side, like I just think there's never not a good time to money dance. Yes. So I feel like. And Millie Rock, because you got a mean Millie Rock face. Yeah, I mean, it has to be sturdy. Like, yeah. If it's not sturdy, don't can you, do it. Can you do it for us one time? I mean, I can. I'm going to have to get the music yeah, on. We have, get yeah, we can get that right, yeah. I got you guys. Yeah. So how are you guys doing out there? You enjoying? Yeah. He's pretty amazing, isn't he? You see why I'm obsessed. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to transition into talking a little bit about your upcoming project that you're going to release. Yeah called 25 to life? Yeah. You been to jail? Never. Okay. <laughs> so talk to us about 25 to life and where it came from, what it is, all that good stuff. Yeah, so 25 to life is a um, five essay project um, that I worked on um, between November 2015 and like right now. So the backstory is um, six months after I turned 25, 
I found myself in this like weird space where I was just like, is this like what quarter life crisis feels like? I was just like, I don't really know what's good. Like life doesn't make sense. Like I, I had a new job, but I was like, man, I think I'm gonna have to quit. But like, I've never quit anything. Like what would that make me look like? Um, and I also was writing through that, right? And I also was in a place where like, I feel like mentally I wasn't that healthy and I didn't really tell anyone about it. Like I think in retrospect, I probably was in fact depressed but I was also functioning at a high level. So I assume those things were mutually exclusive when they're not, they're very interdependent. So um, suffice to say, I would come home from work every day and I was just writing. Um, and what came out of that were a couple series of essays. I didn't think any of them were good enough, so I hid them. But what I did do was one that I felt like was eh, I sent to our lead editor at Blavity. It's called 16, things, 16 Painful Things I Learned While Adulting. So that was part of a larger essay question. That went out, people resonated with it. It did, it did pretty well socially, but I kept the rest of the essays to myself. So in the past month or so, I realized it's disingenuous to tell people to be expressive and creative if I haven't made anything. So I um, linked with my um, homie Andrew, who's a photographer, and we did a series of actual um, pictures attached to each of these essays to capture the emotion I had about a year ago. Um, and so it's everything from like uh, there's death, there's like love, there's like very, very um, disparate things involved there, but I think it's accurate to where I was in my life. Um, and I think it's probably the best body of work I've written because it's the most truthful, which makes it the scariest. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. So when, when, are we gonna, when are we gonna have the full project release? Because one thing that you did mention that is amazing is that, you know, like the, you know, you didn't go in depth about the photos that you got, yeah. you know, you got, you got his America's Next Top Model on. I don't he was know like, that. I'm smizing, can you tell? <laughs> that may or may not be true. <laughs> um, so I think I'm trying, I'm pushing myself to have it out within the next two weeks. Um, I'm aiming for, um, next the end of next week because I think chances are if you're doing a creative thing and you're anything like me you're a pseudo perfectionist which means you'll find a reason to not release it which is less about the quality it's more about your insecurity um, and so I'm trying to remove all of that from myself and just get it out there because it's going to force me to create more which I think is healthy mm -hmm. um, sometimes you want that speaking about health I just want to double back to talk about that space you were in where you were depressed. Mm -hmm. How did you even realize that you were depressed? When did you get to that place where you're like, this is not like, mm, this is not okay? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had my own like wrestle, wrestles with that. So like in, um, in high school, I, I lost my short-term memory for 14 months. And so I went through a period of like anxiety, right? And that was very palpable because there's actual things that I noticed about myself and my behavior that fundamentally shifted. So because I have that base work, I was able to actually like see what I was doing and take a moment to go, okay, what are your habits and why are they changing drastically? This is not the reflection of a bad day. This is not a bad feeling. This is an actual thing. And so because I have that rubric to work from, there are specific things and tactics that I can use and implement to allow myself the space to just be like, this is where I'm at but here's how I want to actually get out of that. Um, and so that was really helpful. I have a lot of people praying for me, so that that's also an addendum. But um, you know, I think it was a mixture of that and that I just decided to get to the root of 
what it was and be okay that that might be an uncomfortable process. And then it's not a process that other people necessarily need to be involved in, but they are there to help me, which is what a village is for. And right. I have probably one of the best ones I know of, and so I leaned on them where I needed to. I think you got a pretty good, I'm trying to borrow your village. <laughs> Pay for rent, for sale? Never. No? No. <laughs> okay, so I know that um, you know, you have some, some of your pieces yeah. here from yeah, 25 yeah. to Life. Are you guys yeah. interested in hearing? <laughs> cool. So I'll, um, I'll read a couple excerpts from uh, two specific pieces. So um, this one is called, We Used to Pray for Times Like This. Um, and so that was a note I wrote to myself. Um, and so I separated the characters. So people that are really close to me. Um, like my family call me Jay, and other people that don't know me that well usually call me Jonathan, right? And so this is a note from Jay, who's like my future self, to Jonathan, which is where I was at. <clears throat> so I'll give you guys a couple um, of these paragraphs I think would be pretty helpful. Okay, cool. Um, awesome. <clears throat> you care too much about people knowing your intentions. Do the work and let them see it. It is not our job to awaken people who sleep on us. They should probably slumber. It's probably for their own good. The reality of what you're going to do might make them want to go back to sleep anyway. <clears throat> there are long nights and early mornings ahead, many, many hurdles, seemingly insurmountable situations. The lessons will be learned through fire. You know the cycle. We are either in a storm, exiting one, or about to enter. But that is what happens to people who are interested in doing things larger than themselves. There are also smiles, bright mornings, and beautiful sunsets. You're never alone, even when it feels that way. You give people permission by accepting what they say. Be cognizant of that and keep your heart. It's what makes you, you. You don't control the process. You control your attitude and your effort. You're never going to have a conventional job. Stop trying to have a conventional life. That killed me, that killed me. That is so good. Like, it's like a snippet. Like, is there it's another? Like, you know, so it's like, Can we get another? Um, yeah, I'll get, so I'll give, you, I'll give you guys another one. So this one is, <laughs> I felt like- I'm greedy, I'm sorry. It's all good. So, mo so the four of these essays were actually a year old. When I was, when I was doing the rewriting, I actually wrote a new one. Um, and this one is called, <laughs> I like her, but I love you, which is a title that I feel like could get someone killed. Um, <laughs> but the, the premise here is that uh, I took time to think about like, the um, situations I've been involved with um, post-college, right? And so the her in this perspective is not a specific person. It is actually the sum total of, I think, the people I was involved with. And the you is actually who they are and what they were becoming when uh, we might have been together. So um, it's, I think, the most honest piece because I had to take a lot of ownership for a lot of the reasons, things, and people I was engaging with um, didn't necessarily work out. And I also felt like um, there isn't necessarily a lot of spaces for black men to communicate their emotions and allow it to be what it is and nothing more. And I felt like I wanted that space, so I had to make it. So I'll, I'll give you guys a couple. 
I wanted that space, so I had to make it. Like, this guy talks in sound bites. I need everything. I need that on a shirt. Cool. All right. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to write in the margins of your life, but you weren't always ready for the annotations. Even still, there's a distinct feeling that whatever happened is unfinished. Perhaps the sense of closure will come with time. Maybe it won't. But just because people had something doesn't mean they're supposed to have something in the future. Dating's been hard, mainly because I keep encountering people who want vulnerability until they see what it looks like and mistake it for instability. I wasn't giving you what you deserved because I didn't really care for myself. I confuse selflessness with a lack of self-care. There's always space for both, but they intimately inform each other. But mostly, I've been persistently unavailable because I'm deeply afraid of showing someone exactly who I am if they're not ready for it. I wanted for a long time if I would ever grow into my heart or if the point of it being this big was to fill it with the right things and the right people. I didn't want to spend the rest of my 20s trying to be a nice guy while simultaneously being terrible to myself. Whoever you do end up with, I hope they understand that the problems of your future should be their privilege, not their burden. I feel everything, but I have never felt anything quite like you. You're what an unearned blessing looks like. Thank you. That's my response. I'm speechless. That's my response. I'm speechless. Mic drop. Thank you. That is wonderful. Okay, so my last thing, my life, because I could sit and talk to you all day, literally. <laughs> I want to know how you are able to be so transparent, especially as not only a male, but a black male. I think, you know. Everyone can attest to how difficult it can be talking to guys, right? Because I feel like society makes you think that you don't, eat, you don't have the right or the privilege to express yourself um, in a way, you, like you can't get too deep, right? You always gotta be macho, you always gotta keep that, you know, like you can't get too in touch with your feelings, right? So how did you get to this space where you could be so transparent, so in touch with your feelings, and you can not only communicate that with your loved ones and the people that know you, but elsewhere, right? Because are your—I'm pretty sure you're—are your friends as transparent as you are? And like, I think when we're around each other, yeah. Like my 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 team, right, has been the same for like the consistent part of my life. Like the people I went to high school with are still some of my best friends, right? Like, but I think what you're, what you're talking about is, I've always been that person, right? Like, so I think the difference now is that I'm actually sharing it, but the people that have been around me, when I'm home, like, and I'm, I'm just with the people that know me, like, I'm, I am this, like, this is not, this work I did sounds like me because it is. I think, um, from a transparent point, I, I just felt like no one else was doing it. Like, that's the gap I see in the market. I see, I have a lot of conversations with people who for some reason, want to talk like I do, but are like, I could never do that. So I need you to keep doing what you're doing because it allows me to see myself. And so I take that really seriously when someone tells you that you're giving them space. Um, I think the other side of it is I've never had trouble um, expressing myself. Um, I just didn't know the right vehicle to which to do it. And I've found more recently that like words are a thing that 
I'm not randomly good at. It's something I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And because of that, I've just committed to actually trying to tell the stories that I think exist. But also there are a lot of people that um, I grew up around or I've seen that never got a chance to tell their story. And so like I would be doing them a tragic disservice if I didn't tell the best stories I could in the most honest way possible using the mediums I'm trying to learn how to master. Um, and I don't know what that looks like, um, but I do know that it is a part of why I'm able to do the things I do. Um, and if it can help people, I think that matters. Um, and I think it's, it's, um, it keeps my relationships with, with, my, with my close friends honest, because they know me and they know that um, we can have that level of conversation. I keep on saying like last question, last question, last question for real. Do you want this to end? I don't want this to end. He's got, he got jumped. Okay, last, last, last thing. I could not have you here and you know, not talk about moms. Yeah. You and moms is real cool. Yeah. And she has had a mate. I mean like, you know, most people are close with their mothers. Like that's kind of like yeah. a, you know, like it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, but you you put your mom on a pedestal you show her mad love yeah. mad respect and shout her out every like you you're very grateful and yeah. you articulate and express how grateful you are for the things that she's done and the sacrifices that she's made for both you and your family yeah i, I think there's a couple things right i think um you know my mom is oldest of five um so she's like the head of that but also my mom the, the, the traditional narrative is like my mom taught me how to be like thoughtful and gracious and loving, which is true. But I like to flip that. Like my mom taught me how to be powerful, right? Like my mother taught me that like I'm never gonna have a back down criteria. Like we're the same person. Like my mother actually has less chill than I do, oh. which is like actually really hard for people to comprehend. Um, she's just learned how to master it. So um, when I when I talk about her, it, it's from a place of of deep love. But like we are the same, and I think. Um, my goal is that like, even if she's not here, I try to take her with me. So I try to make sure that when I'm in an environment that I'm able to um, introduce her to it in a way that matters um, and give her the experiences that I feel like she intentionally missed out on so I could sit here and talk to you. Um, and that's the same thing for my, um, for my dad as well. Um, and I, I don't wanna wait until I'm in like, a serious relationship or have a family to have a legacy of reminding people like where I came from and who I am and I think you can start that now um, and it's for me a worthwhile thing I love it Jonathan I speak for the audience <laughs> the people behind this camera your entire family mom and dad we're so proud of you thank you we are sure. so proud of you, thank you. yeah so much for having the courage to turn your passion into a career and for walking in your purpose. I appreciate that. You the man. You the man. Now, if you guys enjoy this interview as much as I did, I need you to let me know it. Don't be stingy. Don't be cheap. You ready? Let's get, 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 let's get close. Let's get close. Okay? I need you to like, comment, subscribe, and then share it on your social platforms. Twitter, Facebook, you know the deal. All right? Until next time, bye.